0: It's feasible we can have an all-woman at large.
1: All, all women. All women. We're going to have an all-women at large. As I previewed earlier, and we still don't have the information, Braden. but women are the story of the election. And if you don't have women on your team, women advocating for you, you don't have a shot.
0: I can talk about politics, sex, not poop. <laughs> I just can't talk about poop. Democrats did a lot of stupid shit when they were in the supermajority they did they there was a lot of grab ass there was a lot of drinking a lot of affairs there was corruption i don't remember the same type of sort of maliciousness towards their own constituents like when you've got data to support that your constituents want this and you don't do it they're just afraid of being primaried on from the right
2: Not this man right here, your best
1: friend. When you see something that is not right, not
3: fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to PBN. My name is Braden Gall. I'm Jamie Holland. With us in studio, I'm just going to call you boss of Tennessee Lookout, uh, Holly McCall. How are you?
0: You know, I'm really glad to be here with you guys. I haven't gotten to see either one of you in a while. And I'm enjoying taking in this space that belongs to Jamie Holland. (laughs) Which um, I'm just going to set the stage for you listeners out there. It's like a grown-up. Boys' room, but in the best way. Like I would say, it's like a really nice fraternity house room. But I think you'll get the wrong idea. But it's got never or,
1: been in a fraternity.
0: A refrigerator. <laughs> it's got some nice furniture. It's got a lot of Titans memorabilia. You got a couple of bobbleheads and a nice liquor cart.
3: It, it's a it's a boys' room with a lot of legalese. Yeah, in and, it, in and it, as yeah, well. it looks like
0: Tennessee statutes. Here on this bookshelf, a couple of computers. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice.
3: Well, well, thank you for being here, of course. uh, Everybody knows the the website and the work you guys are doing. Great team over there, and we do appreciate you coming in uh, and hanging out with us. We're going to talk at-large bids. For the council runoff, we got eight names there. We're going to talk about the mayoral runoff. How we've been started. We've got one forum under our belts. We've got uh, only seven more. They've agreed. They've agreed. Alice Rowley and Freddie O'Connell to do eight total forums. We'll get into that. We do have the special session that has been approved. I guess if you want to call it that, uh, by Governor Lee. We'll get into previewing what could happen in that situation. Of course, the the passing of Charlie Strobel over the weekend. I had a chance to sit down with Demetria Kaladimos of the Banner. Steve's better half. Over at the Nashville Banner, she had some really interesting comments and perspective on who Father Strobel was, his impact on the city. So you hear that a little bit later on uh, in the show. So a lot of stuff to get to today on the pod. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. Please share it. Follow us on the socials. All that great stuff. At J.R. Holland on Twitter. Okay. No. Uh, Holly, tell everybody where they can follow you, by the way.
0: Well, yes, the Tennessee Lookout. Our website is TennesseeLookout.com. It's all spelled out. We are still on Twitter because that is my only hobby. So we are at TN Lookout. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at TN Lookout.
3: I, I am also going down with the ship as well. I, 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 I love I'm going that down place. With the ship, yep. man. I really, I, I I love I it.
0: I'm going to have to take up knitting.
3: <laughs> Bathe in the sewers. <laughs> it is my jam. So we'll talk some extremism as well. You guys had a great feature on that as well. So we'll get into a lot of things today on the show. Let's start with sort of the state of the runoff. We're only one week out. The candidates agreed to eight uh, forums. I, I like the fact that the two of them said, let's limit the amount of forums we're going to do. Uh, th- there's been some endorsements, of course. Freddie O'Connell, uh, Heidi Campbell, Jeff Yarbrough came out to endorse Freddie O'Connell. Uh, Matt Wilcher donated the max amount. He has not endorsed anybody, but he's donated the max amount to Freddie O'Connell. Fran Bush endorsed Alice Rowley. She's also been meeting with the state GOP executive committees as well. So just this the first week, Holly, let's start with you. What are your thoughts on the initial start to the campaign? And the only question I guess is how much of a chance and what path does Alice have here?
0: So I, I'll tell you, I think Alice has got a ceiling. You know, David Fox got 45% in 2015. And in a lot of ways, this election, I'm not breaking any new ground here, but it does mirror 2015s. David Fox, even though Megan Barry beat him by 10 points and a lot of people said, oh, 10 points, it wasn't even close. I thought for somebody who was driving in the conservative lane to get 45 points in Nashville was pretty significant. Um, now, David did come into that race as he'd been chair of, you know, Metro Nashville School Board. He started Nashville Post Magazine. He'd been around for a while. I don't think Alice... I mean, there's no don't think Alice came into this without the name recognition, the public profile that he had. Um, And it's interesting to me, like, I'm going to be watching to see how many more traditional Republican donors she gets or people to step up because none of her endorsements have been big. Like, I, I don't mean any disrespect here, but if Fran Bush, a former school board member who fell out with a lot of parents publicly, if that's the best endorsement you can get, like, where is Lamar Alexander, who Alice worked for? And where's Bill Haslam, who she worked for, and Randy Boyd and Bill Haggerty? And none of them have stepped up to endorse her. So I think that's probably worth picking into about where all of her support is coming from. And I did mention I went to her election night party, and it was, uh, you know, I didn't see anybody there who I knew from the Democratic side. She says she's trying to attract everybody. um, And she would have to to try to get – Close to Freddie, though. I think she's got an uphill climb. I think she's going to lose by 20 points.
1: Plus, 20 points plus. I noted on Twitter that what you just said, Holly, that the people she's worked for are not endorsing her. Kind of like Jimmy G, my friend Jimmy G Gingrich. (laughs) Nobody knew him, but those that did didn't like him. (laughs) I, I feel a similar path for Alice. Those that don't know her voted for, her. those that do are not endorsing her. That's bad business.
3: A part of that, you're talking about, Holly, her sort of appeal to try to bring somebody across an aisle that, that might be a centrist or might have voted for, you know, Heidi Campbell, Jeff Yarbrough, Matt Wilcher, any of these other candidates, like, hey, what's the appeal? And one of the messages, of among many, is, like, like, I'm going to try to repair the state and local uh, situation, which of course she is she does have a unique lane in that mm-hmm. in that area because of uh, being a conservative. but then she goes and meets with the Tennessee GOP with Governor Lee and this group that's going to decide on the special session out in Mount Juliet. And there's a really quick, easy communications answer to be had when asked, in light of your statement of trying to bridge this gap, why are you going to meet with mm-hmm. this particular body of people? And she easily could say, well, Nashville needs a voice in the room. We need to have a representative that's speaking for the Davidson County voters in that room of people that they don't normally get to have a voice inside of. And instead, the quote, I believe, and this was from, uh, I believe, the Nashville Banner, she said, probably should have thought about it a little more. And I just, it's just, like, from a communication standpoint, that is as bad an answer as you can have as to why you went to this particular meeting.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I think for her, it was probably the best answer and because i've known alice for years and i like getting a cup of coffee with her and talking to her she's very she's very likable um but she is a republican and she went to that because she is a republican they are republicans i think her message you know it varies she will say i think everybody should come with me but you can't you know you can't go see republicans just see republicans and you can't have messages like, you know, Thursday night is part of her speech. She said, you know, Nashville is the sound of the Fisk Jubilee singers and not shouldn't be the sound of hundreds of homicides ringing out across the city. And that took my breath a little bit. It reminded me of Donald Trump's American carnage inauguration speech. It wasn't that like it was not that bad, but it was in that lane. And if you are talking about how high crime Nashville is, when in fact data shows that Crime is not as bad as it used to be. Uh, I think we're certainly more conscious of that because of social media and all these various news outlets. But also pe- people are conscious of it because we have politicians who, like Alice has done, is sort of whipping up this fear factor.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, two decade lows in violent crime, I believe, something like that. So
1: far, she's indicated she's going to run Nashville, burn it to the ground. Negative on Nashville. And I just don't see how that's going to get anywhere close to where David Fox. David Fox's message was a little wonky. Mm-hmm. You know, fiscal responsible, being fiscally responsible, but also talking about infrastructure, he didn't try to run negative on Nashville, and Alice is going to try that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So we're a week into this. There are four weeks left. Twenty percent of the time in the runoff is up. And what's she going to do next? Like, David did go negative on Megan Barry pretty hard. And that's what backfired him. I think he would have lost anyway. But he came out with this Megan Barry's an atheist. And and so where's Alice going to go? Like, I don't. she's going to do that because it didn't work for david and david is a smart guy and he learned from 2015 but when is her negative messaging going to drop when is this save nashville pack like when are they going to drop some bombs and what bombs are there to drop like there's really nothing out there on freddie that's not pretty well known what are you going to say he doesn't like bachelorette vehicles Woo! let's go freddie you know what are you going to say
3: well you could you could also pay to produce some ads that you know are supposed to be attack ads that actually sell his message to people. I will say, and Jamie kind of disagrees with me on this, I think part of Freddie's big number in a very crowded field, which again, as we said last week, he outperformed almost every candidate in the last four elections mm-hmm. in an extremely crowded field other than, than John Cooper's first election where he had 35,000 votes. He he did above and beyond what everybody else has done in almost any of these races. I think it's because he's appealing in part across some politics, across some demog- demographic lines, including Republicans, who are and this is what I find interesting, the tax issue, which is, came up at the first forum. Uh, their first forum between the two of them was at the chamber, was the chamber of Com- hosted by the chamber of commerce at the Shimmerhorn, and one of the only real policy differentiations that they kind of dug into was the tax issue. And Jamie, you've said this multiple times. There's going to be an increase in property taxes coming. She's, she's signed the, you know, the old 1980s. Mm-hmm. I will never raise taxes a single penny on anybody ever in the history of the world, mm-hmm. which always does great things for revenue streams. I What is the difference? Where, where can she actually differentiate herself here?
1: Well, she ran Lamar Alexander's campaign against Joe Carr, which and, was, and that required a call to the Republican national Senate committee to come down here, AKA Ward Baker to come down here and save that campaign. Oh, by the way, uh Joe Carr, Rutherford County Mayor, what's he doing? Raising property taxes. Yep. Like that's just a that's just a part of reality and you can't make a pledge not to do it. That in and of itself is fiscally irresponsible because wasn't that long ago, Comptroller Justin Wilson came to town, sat in front of the council, said, "Hey, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to run your finance department, aka the local government. So, I mean, that's just political dog
3: we, whistle. We, we got we got upgraded in February, right? Um, mm-hmm. From a lending standpoint, double A plus. We're close to the, borrowing the, the AAA. Yep, yeah, from borrowing. And sorry. And I again, I don't. I I'm, I guess my original question is, who has the better tax message? Because to your point, Jamie, that it is a dog whistle for for the most part, because you cannot. Honestly, you cannot campaign on we're not going to touch taxes, but we're going to add a bunch of police. Yeah, like you, you literally cannot do those two things.
0: I I was a little surprised that she came out with that because she's not she's not a stupid person. Like she's pretty bright, and to come out and say I'm not going to raise taxes, I mean. I was with a Republican last week who immediately started off with, why would she say that? Did everybody not learn from George H.W. Bush and his read my lips, no new taxes, and then he raised, you know, the taxes went up and Bill Clinton became the next president. So I was a little surprised that she came out with that. I I think that one of the reasons Freddie has done well is, I really hate the use of the term authentic and authenticity because it's overused in politics, but Freddie has built relationships over the last couple of decades here and he just is what he is and I think he does come across like I like Matt Wilcher I think Matt would have been a good mayor but I think we didn't know who Matt was in this race like was he the progressive who started the kitchen cabinet with Jeff Yarbrough or has he become a Republican or is he pandering and Freddie is just like he's out there and he is what he is
1: Why did Jeff Yarbrough hate Matt Wilshire, and why did Heidi Campbell hate Jeff Yarbrough? Well, (laughs) Well, those are episodes unto itself. But what I, you know, what would have been better for the city of Nashville was to have Freddie in a runoff with either of those three I just mentioned, instead of you know what we've we've seen this play before in twenty fifteen, and the only expectation of difference for me is that I think Alice is going to be selling the under on nashville and freddie's going to be betting over
0: you know there are people left of center jamie who think that it is great that we have the two in the runoff that we have in because there were you know there were some democrats i'm sure you heard this who said oh what's going to happen if it's freddie and matt or if it's freddie and jeff and then we're gonna have democrat on democrat and who's gonna who they're gonna vote for and now it's just like a clean cut right versus left
1: Post expulsion, we're going to see more left on left. That is the plan. That is the tactic. Going after sitting House incumbents, that's the move. And House District 51 race yeah. prove that.
0: Yeah, that was, I thought that would be close, but I thought Anthony Davis would pull that out because that's another person with decades of experience, very progressive. Uh, member and Afton being like a large part of her bane. I think she pronounces. A large part of her message was, I'm going to go support the Tennessee Three, and uh, once again, like I've heard from people who say, I, I think she's melodramatic, she's theatrical. She wouldn't be my first choice, but you know, Anthony probably wouldn't get anything done because fight, he's, fight, he's, fight,
3: fight, 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 fight. Yeah.
0: Yep. I mean,
1: yep. the reason John Ray Clemens is a chairman of the House Democratic Caucus because Justin Jones didn't show up to the caucus meeting.
0: Well, there's that. There's that. Now, now I will say, Justin, you know, they did change, Vincent changed the date of that election. Now, you and I might know it's supposed to be on the Thanksgiving weekend, but it had originally been set for December 14th. Then it got changed. Justin was out in California. I'm just telling you what I have heard. I, I see, Jamie, I see you smirking at me. Like, I'm not going to get into all these.
2: You know,
3: but they're also. No, no, no. So it's, but we, said, I, I, we said it on the show last week. Part of her and not to get into a house state house 51 debate here, but part of her message was, I'm going to fight for the Tennessee three. And I looked at Jamie and I said, before we taped the show, I said, what does that mean? What, like, I don't, that's great. And there's a lot of people that want someone to fight for them. And I understand that, you know, frankly, Freddie tapped into a lot of that angst in the city to begin with as well. Somebody that's going to represent me and fight for me. And, and he messaged it great. And she did as well. What else? You you have nothing else. She hasn't told us anything else about what's going to happen. But again, I didn't want but to... But that was enough. I didn't want to spin off into a...
0: No, I mean, that's enough. Okay. That spinning, that was, spinning yeah, off. But, but that was enough. Jamie wants
3: to talk about how the middle's hollowed out again. So No, I don't.
0: But yeah, I mean, that was enough. And Afton's going to go up there and raise hell and yeah. scream and, you know, maybe try to get expelled. I, I don't know. You there know, you, you she's probably going to get sexually harassed in the first week because she's... You know she's a fairly young and attractive woman and surely somebody's going to say something inappropriate and we'll all no hear about way. that no so. way up there
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh all right uh, I, I don't know what else we have to say about that there's there's seven more forums uh, all the big tv stations and radio stations are going to get them I, they're going to trim it down um, I set the line at eight on
1: Twitter. It came in. If you bet, if you
3: bet push, I winner. The- <laughs> it's hard to bet. Hard to bet push. By the way, <laughs> if you have ever been to a I don't, casino, I'm not a
1: gambler, <laughs> Braden. You tell me. I'm but. the
3: gambler in the house, I guess. Um, so uh, at large council races are going to be a big part of this because the, the what direction the body of, of the metro council, what direction that goes, is also of critical importance here. Zolfat Tsuaro, the only one that's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you've got Delisha Porterfield, Berkeley Allen, Olivia Hill, Howard Jones, Quinn Evans, Seagal, Russ Poli, Chris Chang, Jeff Serra. Those are the eight. And, and what I'm curious about is 383,000 total votes for about 20 different candidates. If you take Zulfatswar out and everybody that didn't qualify, you're removing a whole lot of votes. Mm-hmm. So where do the remaining 180,000 votes that went to other people, what, what, how do you guys feel handicapping the at-large race? Now, again, in a race that's very low information by nature, it's incredibly difficult to get your vo- your message out there to raise money. It's, it's just a difficult thing to do. There's four seats available out of the eight. How do you guys handicap that now with, you know, with a month to go before? Again, early voting August 25th through the 9th of September and then September 14th is Election Day.
0: I, mean, I think Delicia is going to make it in. She had 35,000 votes, I think. Zolfat had what forty thousand votes or so. I think the list is going to make it in. I, I would bet Berkeley Allen makes it in for one thing. She's the first name on the ballot, and yes, that does actually matter to people, particularly low-information race with a lot of people on the ballot. She's also an incumbent. Um, I was surprised Jeff Syracuse didn't do better. I think he came in in that last slot to make it into the yep. runoff.
3: By, you know, by about f- less than four hundred votes actually.
0: Yeah, I was a little surprised at that. He'd been running for a year and had raised a lot of money, and I know there were plenty of folks who didn't like him because of he took money from lobbyists and Titans stadium bill. But, I mean, it's feasible we could have an all-woman at large. Uh, I mean, I would not be shocked to see Quinn Evan siegel move up She's working pretty hard. I bet she will pick up some of that support from Zulfat. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who are busy on the mayor's race and feel comfortable now that Freddie's in the runoff. We're going to flip over and help
3: Quinn. I was going to say, it sounds like there's a lot of voters that went Freddie that are going to help support her.
0: Um, You know, there has not been as much noise around Olivia Hill as I thought there would be. Um, This is no secret. She is a transgender woman, and I thought somehow that would – come out either to her advantage or her disadvantage, but that has not really been a talking point. If she does, I mean, I think it's a story that she's made it into the runoff, but if she wins, that's a national story. I yeah. mean, because that's a huge slap into the face to Tennessee's Republican culture warriors who have built a whole brand in the last couple of years on, Oh my God, we're terrified of these transgender people and they're trying to convert us all. And, and then you might have one sitting on Metro council.
1: All all women, all women, we're going to have a, all women at large. Delicia Porterfield, I think, Olivia Hill, Quinn Avon Seagal, or you said Siegel. Yeah, I think it's Seagal. Sorry. Jeff Syracuse, he's in trouble. Russ Pulley, in trouble. Russ Pulley's biggest chance, in my opinion, hitch his wagon, single shot mm-hmm. effort. Uh, and to the right, Like yep. he needs to partner up with Alice. Alice Cannot win the mayor's office, but she can get Russ in at large if he follows her and hooks up with her. But, you know, both of them would be wise to start a committee, if you will, within their campaigns, women's women for Jeff, women for Russ and start getting that list out and having those women working because as a previewed earlier and we still don't have the information braden but women are the story of the election and if you don't have women on your team women advocating for you you don't have a shot
0: let me ask you something who is chris Cheng? like he came up pretty high and i i saw his name on a list i started wondering like who is this guy i know he got endorsed by some conservative like i don't know some conservative newsletter or something but i'd never heard of him and i thought did people just Mistake he and Chris Crofton for each other.
1: <laughs> you're, <laughs> y'all... you're you're talking about the intelligence of the electorate, Holly. And well... I'm not going to let you go there. I'm um, going to save you. But,
0: yeah, but do y'all know this guy or know oh, much about him?
1: I'm pretty sure he makes hot sauce okay. over at Hunter Station. Have you eaten any in the base? Yeah, I have. Is it good? It's pretty good. All right,
0: all right. Well, in I mean, the basement
1: of that's... Hunter Station over here at Tenth and Maine.
0: Can't have too much
1: hot sauce. Former military.
0: Yeah, he was a ranger. I didn't hear that.
1: So I don't think he's got a chance because went to Harvard. uh, Yeah. Really? Well, we had a guy running for mayor went to Harvard too. Lives in Old Hickory.
0: You know John Cooper went to school with some of the Kennedys. Like, I just like, I have to bring that out because like John Cooper has a lot of weirdly interesting things about him. Like, yes, he went to Harvard, but I was talking to him not too long ago when I said something about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which we definitely don't need to get into, uh-huh. but John goes down this road of like, well, you know, I went to college with him, but I, I mean, it was in his class. His brother was whatever. Anyway, that's, hey, I don't want to, That's really just, far afield. <laughs> I don't want to
1: just skip over Howard Jones, but he's the modern equivalent of Larry, Larry Krim. And his newspaper, the Larry Crimm Times. I was thinking of Prince
0: Mongo in Memphis.
1: And his family. Not nearly as popular as Prince Mongo. But there there could be some solidarity in North Nashville to single-shot him.
0: Look, do single-shots ever work? Like, I'm trying to remember. Somebody single-shot in 2015. It was one of the more conservative, like, termed limited metro council. I can't remember who. And he went down in flames.
1: Well, and, the, the guy that... Uh, went live on some social media platform while on the throne. Oh, Steve God, Glover. I forgot about that. No,
0: but it, what, I'd forgotten about Oh my oh, God. God, thank you for reminding me of that bullshit, literally.
1: <laughs> That's too many.
0: Too many, Holly. Too many. <laughs> Okay, so back to this single-shot stuff. Because, man, that was just disgusting. Oh my God. Like, that was gross. But yeah, um, I, I just I can't... Nothing
3: brings people together faster than...
0: I can talk about politics, sex, not poop. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I just can't talk about
0: poop, man. It grosses <laughs> me There's out. There's your line, you, you There's your, your line. Head. I
3: wish I would was videotape you that. Uh, okay. you, did, you didn't realize what uh, how Jamie referred to the, <laughs> the mayor's office last week on the episode... Would you call it a uh, like a shit sandwich? And then you said it's not even a shit sandwich; it's a diarrhea <laughs> sandwich. No, diar- I said the director, the, the, the director of oh. law, has served the next
1: mayor and the next director of law. I was just in a <laughs> oh, uh, pretend courtroom I, I apologize, served and served them is a the diarrhea
0: shit sandwich.
1: That's, <laughs> these are facts.
0: I might start gagging. <clears throat> these are like facts. Well, what were you? Oh, single shot. But I think, look, I think single shot is a great strategy. I've actually, in a past life, tried to explain to candidates in other places why they should use that. But it's really hard to explain to people, to get people to understand, like, why if you only vote one time, it matters
3: more. We could have ranked choice voting. But we don't. Because you're taking four, uh, is it that hard? You're taking four votes away from... Other people. Look,
0: I'm telling you, try to trying to explain. People are like, well, I got four votes, I should be able to cast all four. No, but it counts more if you. It's. I yeah, think yeah. it's really hard to make people understand okay. no, that. Oh God! The
1: but Jamie might gonna, disagree. The hive's going to disagree. No, I agree with it as a strategy, but the hive's going to disagree. It's
3: a hard. Sp- strategy to win on, but you can, it's, I think it's a math that backs it up. (laughs) I
0: think in smaller races, it's more effective. So
3: I don't, I don't disagree. Maybe it doesn't work in the runoff.
1: It works to get you to the runoff.
0: And I don't disagree with Jamie that like, I was really shocked. Howard Jones, I mean, he is a perennial candidate. How in the heck did he make it there? What did he do? Like, this is a practical (laughs) question. I'm not being snotty. What did he actually do? To get him in the runoff. I, Zulfat was raising money. Quinn was raising money. They were going every place. They had social media campaigns. I saw some Howard Jones signs on those fences by the interstate down at 60, 40 uh, what is it, I-40 in downtown. That's about all I saw. Well,
1: he's run for juvenile court clerk, circuit court clerk, state senate. <laughs> Council at large previously, a.k.a. he's been on every ballot. So you think there's just
0: a name recognition factor?
1: I, I guess he, he has some
3: branding there.
0: Am I, am I boring as hell today? No, no like, not I, at all. I'm you, just not going to swear a lot. I do, No, like, I,
3: I want you to swear a lot. I, I know. So it's funny, we, we've talked about this race and you guys have handicapped it quite well, but what's hard for the average voter and even hard for the three of us to sit here and do is to dissect the differences of them and why each of them would be good for the job or not. Like... <laughs> We can talk about some of the identity stuff around some of the candidates, as you've already done. But it's it's very difficult to know. There's lots of good reporting out there that's kind of given some breakdowns of these uh, these different candidates. But it's hard to know if if you align with X issue or Y issue, which ones, you, which of these guys are supposed, men and women, you're supposed to vote for. I mean, Stephen Number Two interviewed twenty one of
1: them, I- and <laughs> like. What can you tell us about him? Well, Ste- who's Stephen really. number Steve, one? Stephen Elliot, Steve, <laughs>
3: Elliott. Steve uh, Cavendish in the city. Cavendish number one. I'm sorry. Yeah, duh. he's number one at FW Publishing. Number two in the city. Well, and and Elliot even said on the episode, he's like, I don't even expect my friends to read all of those. It's like it's a hard thing I, to do is to get out information on for an at large council seat, which also- I didn't.
0: And I'm a politics nerd, and I like Elliot, right, right, But I still right. didn't read it all because I'm like, I just don't care that much about all these. Wow. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have admitted that.
1: Maybe there should be less council members. I Look, we, I don't know when we're going to
3: plan that episode. Perhaps. Few, well, I don't dis- fewer is the term. Look,
0: I don't disagree with that. I, I don't mm. disagree with that. I don't like that the state was the one Bingo. handing that down. Bingo. If but we- I started my reporting career in Columbus, Ohio, with six council people but they've got a couple of full-time staffers everybody's got their lane somebody handles wastewater solid waste somebody's got you know roads and potholes and when I first got up there I came from here and I thought what are you going to do with six council it works pretty well
3: so okay you I'm I'm with Jamie on 20 I don't like that it's being forced upon us mm-hmm. but there are some benefits you've had some experience with it so since since you won't be around for that episode maybe you will I don't know uh your case for 20, certainly not 15 with five at large, but 20 districts in the National Metro Council, what would be your case for that?
0: Well, look, I don't think you need any at large. Like, what did they do, practically speaking? Like, Bob Mendez had a strong voice, and, you know, he was against the Titans, but he could have done that as a dist- district councilman, right? He was in a second term. Anyway, I just... uh Forty is very unwieldy, and it was Beverly Briley who coined the term 40 jealous whores. And, um, I mean, it was a a perfect coin because everybody's in there fighting for their little slice of zoning. Can they get this approved? Can they get that approved? It's just really inefficient. It's just inefficient. And like I said, six people would have a fit. If I public, publicly suggest to six council people, this is a big consolidated government. Columbia, Columbus, Ohio is not consolidated. But I saw how that worked with, you know, like I said, everybody had their lane they stayed in. And it was really efficient. They had full-time staff members. With 20, you got to add some staff. These people can't. They either got to treat it like a full-time job, get some staff. I don't know how they, they manage as it is now. You got some really good... Erin ca- Evans has a full-time Co- job.
3: She's really involved in her community. Columbus is a, the biggest city in Ohio, by the way. Yeah, very large, very large city. Okay. Um, so, uh, excellent uh, sort of layout on the Tennessee Lookout website about extremism writ large in the state of Tennessee. And I, I want to w- get into the special counsel because it's going to happen on the 21st, so we're kind of going to preview it real quickly. Um, we'll have some more reaction to it when it actually takes place, if and when anything actually happens inside of that session. This is, of course comes after the Covenant shooting and, and, and sort of the calls for some sort of common sense gun reform, which we can all dream about, uh, unfortunately, in this state. But I, extremism in general, I think, Holly, you guys did a great job of painting the picture in the state of Tennessee. Again, I recommend everybody go read it. Uh, we just had a vote in Ohio, in, in which case a ballot measure for procedure voting. Three million people showed up. Crazy. In a fifty-seven forty-two vote to turn down a procedural process, like, like a 60-50% vote. Uh, Jamie knows a whole lot about procedural votes. Uh, and we'll get to... That's
0: good, because I
3: don't. <laughs> but it, it dovetails into what I want to sort of... Def- like. We, we want to give people on the show information and talking points and sort of data to help have thoughtful conversations with people in their lives. And one of the things that I think we... It's such a simple thing to define and label extremism for what it is. And if 70% of people in Tennessee, I'm just gonna use that mm-hmm. number as random and suggest that polling is accurate because I don't know. we know that polling is very flawed in general. But let's say that 70% of people in Tennessee want something, whether that's protection of reproductive rights, whether that's common sense gun laws, whether that's the legalization of marijuana, pick an issue. Let's say 70% of people want something. If 50, I'm gonna use national number here, mm-hmm. 50 senators on one side don't vote for that, but 70% of their constituents want it, then that is extremist by definition. And I don't think we define that clearly enough for people when talking about things like common sense gun reform.
0: Look, I think you laid that out perfectly because, you know, I think there's a group of us who talk and hear about, you know, if you actually talk to people across the state, if you can make them understand, like, look, you – Abortion is actually a great example because just about every poll in Tennessee, outside of Tennessee, say that the majority of people feel like women should have the right to make that decision. And Republicans do cross, or people who identify as right of center do cross over into that. And yet, you know, we've got an abortion ban in Tennessee. We've got, like, we've got measures to try to, you know, criminalize or punish local governments if they put a measure in to let their employees go out of state. Uh, the gun reform thing, that's, another. Uh, you know, Fox News did a poll, not Fox Local, but Fox News did a poll showing like what a large percentage of people in the nation would like some type of gun control and or gun safety. And there's just no part of the problem is there's no definition. And the other part of this comes from having a supermajority super and, you know, Democrats did a lot of stupid shit when they were in the supermajority. They did, They there was a lot of grab ass, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of affairs, there was corruption. I don't remember the same type of sort of maliciousness towards their own constituents. Like, when you've got data to support that your constituents want this and you don't do it, they're just afraid of being primaried the, from the right. And some of this is comes from the Trumpification of America. Do you have thoughts, Jamie? I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I can roll on this forever, but it will bore the hell out of people. <laughs> it, it, no, it's it's
1: it, it's about you know, so seventy percent across the state. Well, how's that polling being done by state house district?
0: Well, you know, we don't. I don't know that the Democrats are doing any polling. I don't know how much is money is there a Democratic got. Party in State of Tennessee? Oh man, we can go down that hole. But no, there's not. There's really not. But but I'll say this, you know. The Republican House caucus polled supposedly on transgender issues before session. And I sat in a group, Tennessee Press Association had Randy McNally and Cameron Sexton come speak and Cameron Sexton said something like, oh, 80% of the people in Tennessee based on a poll we've got are against, uh, you know, having people uh, transition. And I said, where's the poll? Well, we did several. Well, where is it? Is it public? No. No. Like who's the pollster? Well, we're not so you don't even like Jamie, y'all know how you can word polls. So he's saying eighty percent how is that poll worded? Yeah. Even if they did a respectable sample of people, like you can word things. So anyway. Man, I don't
1: I don't think bills get filed because they're worried about that being a unpopular bill in their district. Yeah. yeah, I've said before, Braden. I, I won't belabor the point here again. It's hollowed out, and so it doesn't matter what seventy percent of the people across the state feel. It matters what what the people of that house district feel, and
3: until that changes, this is the reality that we live in. Uh, so, in, in my in my seventy percent world, there in, is it? To, it's a totally f- fictional issue and poll, just to, to put out a, a point of, of hypothetical here. I disagree with that particular, that house district. There might be some that are very extreme in terms of their entire constituency, but that's my point. Ohio is not a purple state anymore. It is a it is a red state and almost 60% of a red state came out for a ballot and like f- to, to fix the way, it's a procedural vote. They just voted on Tuesday. Kansas did the same thing. Kentucky's done the same thing. It, even if you go to these red districts where they are conservative, rural, small towns, they are still 55% pro-choice, 50, 60% common sense gun law. I mean, they're, they're just, it's the majority of the people voting even in those districts. And to call that elected official mainstream or both sides or whatever, that is the, that's the problem. You're not calling it, not you, we're not calling it what it really is, which is extreme. If sixty percent of your district wants something and you don't care, you are the extremist. If that makes sense, that's my point. Here.
0: That makes sense to me.
3: My point
1: is, amongst our elected office holders, there is there is no middle. Well, but you there's, yeah.
3: there's far right and there's far left. But you've said to me, you know, like there's and I think it was oh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was it was Heidi Campbell that was in with us that said a vast majority of these, of these elected Republicans in the state house don't feel the way. They have to talk publicly about stuff. They don't feel that way, right? Hmm.
0: Well, she knows better than me, but I'm not sure I'd say a vast majority. I'm going to call
3: bullshit on
1: that. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of them do believe that. Like I said, she's the one who's there, but yeah, I think a lot of them actually do believe this way. And there are, I mean, I think there are some who aren't as far right as others, but they know if they don't act that way, they're going to get somebody farther right. Sumner County is a great example. I know William Lamberth, has been talking to some of the covenant parents about some stuff and seems to be willing to work with him. He's out of Sumner County. He's the house majority leader, but Sumner County has got this whole bunch of, like, I'm just saying they're way far out there. Constitutional Republicans who want to restore Sumner County to Judeo-Christian principles. And they're vocal. They're loud. They're going to gin up somebody to run against him if he does something more publicly. And I'm no fan of William Lambirth.
1: No, no, I, I know. And, and, I don't think for a minute any of these House members are out kicking their coverage, AKA outrunning their base of support back mm-hmm. home. I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. Okay. All right. I just. I, uh, and you, if you're citing some poll from some university that shouldn't be playing SEC football, like well, oh, wow. major problems with that. Ooh, wow. I have no because idea. Because they also wow. said that Amendment 1 relative to abortion was going to fail.
0: Sixty forty, yeah. Didn't. Well, I mean, polling does not always.
3: It's a snapshot tell in time. A story. Yeah. Um. Uh, well, anyway, I I wanted to, we're, we're I, I wanted to sort of set that that parameter in place before we head into sort of a glance at what we think could happen in this special session, and again promote what you guys did, Holly, on the on the website, which is again lay out a very thorough sort of view of, of extremism in the state of Tennessee over the years. Uh, again, please go read it, TennesseeLookout.com. So the question is then, what can we expect from the session? It's, I, I think, lowering expectations mm-hmm. is probably the first message for folks that actually want to see change, mm-hmm. and, and not to back up for a second, but it, the reason people scream and yell on social media is this conversation. The, the reason the hive exists and the reason that people get so fed up and they don't feel like they have any more recourse and they need to go on social mm-hmm. media and scream and purity test and et cetera, et cetera, like that's the reason is they feel hopeless. I get that. So I just. I feel hopeless sometimes.
0: I mean, no, seriously, I think Tennessee is going to moderate, but it's going to be a minimum of 10 years, maybe not in my lifetime. I'm almost 60. So um, where are we going with that? I just had one of those late. Middle previewing the, the, the session. Oh, nothing's going to
3: happen. I, I'm, I'm curious that you think we're going to moderate in 10 years. I'd like to see what Jamie says to that, because that's interesting to me.
1: I think she's on the underside of the line. Yeah.
0: Uh, But special session, I mean... I saw Extraordinary session. Yeah, well, there's a lot of extraordinary... But I, th- I saw a lot of people who seemed on social media very pissed off, maybe a little surprised, like, oh, my God, there's nothing about extreme order protection. There's no... Look, who like who really expected that? I know, like, I live this, and I'm cynical, but I think it was clear from the first moment that Bill Lee said, I'm going to have a special se- session, that none of that, there, there wasn't going to be big gun stuff introduced. Like, right away, McNally and Cameron Sexton said, it's not going to pass. We're not going to take it up. So, I mean, Jamie, you and I were talking beforehand. There's some measures related to mental health. I think that's great. <laughs> we don't have enough mental health care Coverage ways for access for people to access that, and that's not even related to shootings. That's just period. I also think there are some measures that were on his proclamation that could be harmful. They brought back up that um, the bill that would allow juvenile courts to transfer anybody sixteen or up to adult court, and I'd kind of like your thoughts on that, Jamie.
1: Well, I don't know about. Let me get to that. There's all right. Let me let me put my glasses on where I can see. There's eighteen of them here. Yep. But number one, I'm quoting from the actual document, mental health resources, providers, commitments, or services. And I to stop there as a going in my 17th year of the practice of law. I've never experienced more calls coming from clients, past clients, fellow lawyers calling me, Hey, I know this son employee, child experiencing a mental health crisis what are the resources available to me and kind of one of the things I do is I'm a connector people call me with problems I get out my rolodex if you will and start making phone calls to try to help solve those problems well this one's come the frequency of this call is getting more and more every week I'm getting a call about it we absolutely need more resources put in to mental health problems in the state of Tennessee. And I'm sure it's true in other states, but especially since the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, in the age of the, the people needing the help are in their younger twenties. Well, what are the resources in Davidson County? Well, you've got the mental health co-op. Well, guess what? Short staffed, lot of demand, uh, you're not getting in there anytime soon. Well, there's a state mental institution, off Stewart's Ferry Pike. Well, depending on what the problem is, the the only time, ta- particularly once they reach the age of majority, it becomes a problem. That has to be something voluntary. If they don't want to do it, even though it's their family, the people that really love them, you're talking about taking away somebody's liberty. And the only way you can do as currently existing under the law, the only way you can get an involuntary commitment is through suicide ideation, mm-hmm. and that generally means you went to the emergency room, hospital, and at least to two separate physicians. You express suicide ideation, then you get get sent to Mental Tennessee Health Institute for five days. You get a commitment hearing in front of a General Sessions Court judge. And by the way, those proceedings are secret. Those records are sealed. Even your lawyer is not going to Mm -hmm. be able to get them. I've been to that facility. It's a scary place. There's a lot of people wandering around. It's like, who is serving the Tennessean that needs the help? And while this call for the extraordinary session may not include things you want to talk about, well, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some serious issues here that definitely need our attention. You know, there could be public service announcements. You know, start providing providing funding through ten care or uninsured care to help people deal with the mental health
3: crisis, and we've got to do it. This is the the art of the possible, right? This is use the session to try to get as much as you can in the areas that we need it. Maybe it's not related to specifically, you know, covenant or or Mm -hmm. gun violence or or whatever. It's
1: number one on the list. I mean, in in the covenant case, you know, the litigation surrounding those records, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to persuade me in the absence of seeing those records and the fight and the parties involved. The schools intervening, getting involved in that case. I think I know what might be in those records. And I'm, I think there's a reason why there's a big fight about it. I'm not going to speculate on
3: it, but I think I know. I, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist. to I
0: have a decent idea what yeah. some of it includes, not all of it, but at least a portion of it. it and
1: like they don't want it out because it's going to be harmful to some other people. Right. Well, too bad. We're a nation of laws and a state of laws. And law says that's a public record based on my read. So eventually it's going to come out. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I want to read it. I'll read it. But the the government. I want to read it. I, yeah. the, I'll read anything. The, cover, the government shouldn't get to say no to that publication. But yeah. mental health, we've got to provide substantially more funding for it in whatever shape, form, or fashion that comes in. That's going to be an improvement over the status quo today.
0: I agree with Jamie, but I am a little cynical that anything of any import gets accomplished in that respect. And I'm glad it's on the list. Um, But I just like, I'll believe it when I see it. I just don't see a lot of productive legislation coming out of the legislature
3: at all. What should, um, aside from screaming on Twitter, what should people do? We've got a week and and some change here before the session. Is there anything people can do to, to voice? I mean, obviously, you can you can email your representatives, you can call Congress, you can call local officials, you can email your council member. Like, what is it that people should be doing to try to at least be heard as, a, as opposed to just, you know, screaming into the void, which does sometimes feel cathartic and good.
0: Yeah, it does feel cathartic. But look, you have to keep trying to correspond, talk, reach your lawmakers, your local officials, whether they're your state rep or your state senator. And people aren't I think in a lot of cases, people aren't going to be satisfied with the feedback. In many cases, they won't hear anything back. I personally think it would be better for more people to look at the long game. Um, you know, there I know people who have not lived here might not be as aged as me or even Mr. Holland over here who say like, Oh, Tennessee's always been red and it's gonna be like this. It's not always been red. It's been in the last thirteen years or fifteen years it's been red and that's because in part the Tennessee Democratic Party like didn't do squat and had become very complacent. Now, I think, you know, you've got an influx of people from all over the country. You've got a lot of liberals, a lot of conservatives in some of these suburban counties. I don't think it's going to be this conservative forever. And I wish people would try to, like, keep their mind ahead on the long game by, like, if you don't like your representative, like, go out and find somebody to run. And they might not win, but you got like you got to keep swinging. You got to keep swinging. You got to hold them accountable. I've got an acquaintance who went up to Senator Jack Johnson at a nonpartisan political event in Franklin, and just said, "What are you going to do about guns?" And like he just about sounded like he just about had a breakdown, telling her, "I just want to eat my taco and ice cream without being harassed." Well, that's what you get when you're in office. Like you do need to hold them accountable. It's the
3: job, yeah, it's the job. Uh, I think Jamie, to your point about larger scale mental health with young people i think it's not just schools and guns i mean we we just came out of a pandemic where and this is actually you know the the right was accurate about this the kids being home for that long is bad for mental health you know what else is bad for mental health an armed security guard walking around in a militarized school system like that's also bad for mental health as well so it's it's a larger you know that's obviously a hypocritical stance that that well mmp uh, you
1: know number two on the list is school safety plans and policy. And MNPS and MNPD shot the bet on that. You know, the director of schools, vis a the. I'm,
0: I'm wheezing here.
1: <laughs> under, under the direction of the school board. So, you know, and Chief Drake gets on TV and says, you know, the state provided funding in the last budget to hire officers to student resources officers for our elementary schools. We have 70 MNPS elementary schools. I remember. Before Covenant, before the pandemic, I went and met with Steve Anderson. said, I want, after the latest school shooting, wherever it was at the time. And, you know, it's happened so often I can't remember which one it was. And I asked Steve Anderson, hey, we've got SROs in middle schools. We've got SROs in high schools. What you're saying as a matter of public policy is that our kids in elementary schools are up for slaughter. What's it going to take? to get a SRO there. And I'm not talking about an officer in a uniform with a badge and a gun walking around. I am talking about the gun but outside the building. What are we doing to secure the doors? You know, it's p- particularly in elementary schools, parents, you know, especially the first few weeks of school, kindergarten and first okay. grade. I just did like, it 2 days I, ago. I, I get it. I just did you want to hold hold your kids' hand and you want to walk them to the classroom. Well, the consequence of what's going on in society means it's out, which is not, which is not our fault. And what are you doing to secure the doors? You know, do you have double entry doors? Do you have key swipe doors? Hey, they're willing to put money in place to fund officers. Well, the chief says, Hey, that needs 70 officers. And you know, you need a Sergeant for every 10 to manage them. So that's really 77. Might as well just call it 80 full-time equivalent is a hundred thousand dollars a year so that you know you're talking eight million bucks well we get a grant we got this is a grant from the state and the chief says well we're not even going to apply for it because based on the conditions we we don't have the personnel to do it well you need to reorganize the damn personnel Mm. because what if the elementary kids in school during that particular time are not the priority of the metro national police department then what the fuck are you doing
0: I mean, I don't think anybody loves the idea of having armed guards, right. but you right. know, th- there's no place safe.
3: You got to play the hand you're dealt.
0: Yeah, when a private Christian right. school, like, there's not any place that feels safer than that—a private Christian school in Nashville—and somebody comes in and kills three nine-year-olds and then three adults. Like, I think you got to be realistic. Like, it could happen anywhere.
3: No, and and not to get. Um into the soapbox, sort of like into our fields here and just cathartically rage podcasting, if that's a thing.
0: We'll turn the microphones off for that. But
3: like it's, it's the the one of the things that drives me nuts about the school shooting conversation is that people hear that it's happened in your area and it's the, I can only imagine phrase. Mm. Like I can only imagine is it kind of, it just bothers me. And I think even within our own middle Tennessee bubble, there's certain communities that saw what happened and it was far enough away that they're just like, oh, I I, I can't yeah. even imagine, and I want to say to every, I want to grab people by the shoulders and shake them and say, you better start imagining, because it could happen to your like, I, my children go to school, I don't know, fourteen miles from from Covenant. I I don't feel any safer because yeah. it happened closer. You, you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, I mean it's like luck of the draw. I think it was probably a week after Covenant Centennial High School out in Franklin, there were some. Like somebody was calling there, making shooter threats, and they were talking about closing it down. And this is just where we're at.
3: Well, and and we've th- had
0: three we've had three mass shootings in Nashville in the last five years: a Waffle House, a Sunday church, and now this school. And I mean, I don't like the idea of armed guards walking around in elementary school either. But like, what what are your options? Well, I'm okay with plain clothes
1: outside the door, you know because you've secured all the other doors and putting a policy in place but also like hey keep an eye out yeah and that person parks in the parking lot and gets out with that long gun hey
3: no questions asked they're they're eating a bullet sandwich i i don't have the numbers in front of me but you said three and i want to say like you're like a hundred times less over the three years, because like you know how they mm-hmm. they they mm-hmm. define mass yeah. shooting, I think it's like four wounded or injured. And yeah, I, I want to say, and I, I wish I could. Pull, I tried to pull it up quickly here while you guys are talking, but I want to say we're at like fifty plus for the calendar year in
0: Tennessee, in the state of Tennessee.
3: Holy now let smokes. me let me double check that. I'll I'll fact check that if I'm wrong. I, I apologize, but I and somebody's been reporting on this recently and again, so I, I didn't have time to, to double check all of that. So I'll, I'll I'll make sure we do that on the next episode.
0: Well, yeah, weren't like four people shot someplace in Memphis not long after the Covenant?
1: Well and yeah. There's. Well, in a shooting amongst teenagers yesterday at the Bordeaux Library, it's there
0: horrible. There you, there you go. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't have, They're not any easy solutions. It's we're not getting guns back, even if you, even if the state legislature fully supported, like we want to repeal the Second Amendment in the state of Tennessee. You, you, you literally could not get these guns back.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's amazing what other countries do. They just, a bad thing happens and then they fix it. Anyway, okay. But do you want to keep going down the list? We've, we, I, I don't even know what, why. Okay. Like uh, tax breaks for buying a safe. Is that what we're going to get out of this?
1: Well, that's not the, the jury.
3: The juvenile thing is another one that's concerning because it gives, what it does is, I'm paraphrasing here in non-legal terms, but essentially it gives more power to do more to young people Correct.
0: Right. So um, among the things that are on this um, proclamation of issues that can be raised is the one that jumped out to me because it bugged the hell out of me. The last session was let 16 year olds be taken to for out of juvenile court and remanded to adult court and into the adult system. And I know there are plenty of judges who are really irritated about that, really upset. Anita Wadwani with our Tennessee lookout did a story on that because they just went through this in this last session, talking with lawmakers ad nauseum about why this is a bad idea. And it didn't make it through the last session, probably because the Tennessee three got happened, got the expulsion and everything went haywire. So it looks like it's going to possibly come up again at this session. And I just, that, you know, that people are adults at eighteen is our construct, right? Does anybody think an eighteen-year-old boy, eighteen-year-old uh, boys, got a fully developed brain? No. The prefrontal cortex is slow to develop, right. in the
1: young
3: man with the, with the Y chromosome, yeah. right? But then to, slowing it all down. But
0: then to bring somebody sixteen <laughs> or up, like why Squirrel. even have, why even have a juvenile court system? Why even have a juvenile system? Like we acknowledge that we have a different system for juveniles because they are at a different stage of development and but oh but we're going to change that and say it's 16 they should be and i don't know it just i think it's a very bad idea
3: what other issues you got on that list you want to preview there jamie before we before we hear from uh dimitri Calidimos on the life and legacy some positive news to end this 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 what seems to be a very negative part of the show um some some light there that that uh charlie strobel brought to our our community and
1: Demetri's voice
3: is always soothing
1: it is well it is you know number 10 I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit uh stalking offenses you know I remember one of my first cases as a baby lawyer uh, female I was representing a female that was being cyber stalked by someone a, you know ex-boyfriend it was incredibly difficult to get that person
2: mm-hmm.
1: away from her and it you know He would take on a new identity and on and on and, you know, show up or show it up or work. Well, stalking offenses. Hey, I'm for strengthening those, making it easier to keep that person away from you. Uh, The House Democrats are on a bus tour. They were in Memphis. Don't know where they're going. I saw a few clips on that.
0: Jackson, Clarksville. Maybe Franklin.
1: What struck me was uh, there were some people absent amongst the House Democrats. Why is that, you think, Holly?
0: You know, one would think that in a caucus as small as the Democrats have in both the House and the Senate, that they might all be able to get on the same page. And yet, you know, there's a rift in the Senate caucus, which has six people, We just had a third of the Democratic Senate caucus running for mayor of Nashville. An entire third of the Democratic caucus was running for mayor of Nashville. And, I mean, it's not a secret that, um, you know, the the Justins, two members of the Tennessee Three, aren't real copacetic with other portions of the House caucus. And, you know, I don't know why. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. But there's there's, – yeah, I don't think everybody's playing well with others. Let's just leave it at that. Brayden,
3: what do you have to say on that? I have nothing. I have nothing to say to that.
0: And I I think that's kind of where you were going with that, Jamie, although I would say, like, there are only about seven members of the House caucus, I think, on the bus out of, like, 20-something. So, I don't think we should just say Gloria Johnson's not on the bus or Justin Jones and Justin Pearson aren't. There are also, like, a lot of other folks who could be on the bus but aren't. And you know, they, may, they might think it's a waste of time. Like, it is a publicity stunt. I'm all for publicity stunts if they get a lot of good publicity. But... Um, I didn't limit it to three. No, I, said I There I, were I, some I absences. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I thought that... I know y'all are trying to wrap up, but I do think that sort of gets us back to Jamie saying the middle's been hollowed out. You've got the Tennessee Three, who I think are easily considered the more the most liberal members, and now Afton Bain, the most liberal members of the caucus. Uh, you know, I think Bo Mitchell's pretty liberal, but I think there are plenty of Democrats who don't view him as – Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, I think we're, we've just gone to our, our corners.
3: Well, one thing I want to say, Braden, before you move on. No, so. no, I've got one comment to that. Oh. Which, is a, which is again to reiterate the differences in the extremes that they are not you cannot conflate the two as the same What is well, one gets some mean tweets and the other one leads to to young people committing mm-hmm. suicide to mental health to radical extremist violence to insurrections and etc etc well the other one ends up with yep. some mean tweets yep. I, I want to make sure and a,
0: and a megaphone that,
3: that we are clear right. on the implications of the two extremes it doesn't get to any more legislation being passed right <laughs>
0: Or I think, what was it Andrew Farmer called? It said to Justin Pearson, he you brought your adolescent bullhorn onto the floor, which made me wonder, are there juvenile bullhorns or adult bullhorns?
3: You <laughs> could use a few adult bullhorns.
1: <laughs> All right, sorry, there, there There's a there's a paragraph on page four of the Tennessee Journal out today by Eric Schelzig that I think captures the, dare I say, solidarity. mm uh, the Tennessee Democratic Party, its House members, and its members of the Senate. Uh, represent- Representatives Pearson, Jones, and Johnson have become known as a Tennessee Three, but a new political action committee of the same name is registered with the state. doesn't appear to have anything to do with the Democratic lawmakers. The Tennessee Three's packed treasurer is Jessica Darby and Jason Baker, co-founders of a Republican political consulting firm, Starling Strategies, and have worked for candidates Manny Sethi, Bill Lee, and Brian Kelsey. Maybe if, we get, if the Democrats get off the fucking outrage machine, they can pay attention to what's going on and not get outsmarted.
3: So you got to play the game. Every fucking day. Got to play the game. Uh, maybe don't give up your name to a, a pack, I guess is what you're saying to folks. <laughs> that represents the other side uh okay all right uh holly thank you so much well for coming i hope in. it
0: provided some insight or something you were what wo-
3: you were wonderful
0: i'm much i'm actually much more fun when i'm swearing a lot but sometimes that gets people in podcasts into trouble so thank no you. you get it
3: away thank more, you holly you get into way more trouble if you're on the radio so that's the whole point of the the podcast is that you get to say I, bad words
0: really oh yeah it's
3: the whole point it's the well, whole point. fuck <laughs> on the, on I don't know. On that note, thank you for coming in. Check out the Tennessee Lookout. Uh, where can people find you and follow you? Uh, website TennesseeLookout.com, and social media
0: is at TN Lookout. We cover state politics, policy, government, and we play in a few other areas when it's interesting. Give us a check out.
3: Great staff of people working for you guys. You Thank guys you. are doing good stuff. So keep, you can uh, find me. No, you're not done yet. On Saturday. <laughs> oh, okay. The tomato. No, fest. no. That's this is coming out after that. Uh, uh, oh on. God! Delete, delete, delete. You could delete. have. You could have found jamie holland
0: over the last weekend at the tomato fest
3: yes and it it could have you might have found it. here's what i want to say thank you all for coming by to see us at tomato fest any of you who did we do appreciate you guys for coming by and saying hello and collecting free stuff because we gave away free stuff and the next time at the next event where we are check us out on the socials to make sure you know where we're going to be we'll give away free stuff then too so thank you guys for whoever came by on Saturday, <laughs> we do appreciate it. Okay, with that being said, uh, I had a chance to catch up with Demetri Caladimos, of course, of the Nashville Banner, who was very, very close friends with Father Charles Strobel, who passed away last weekend. And we had an opportunity to talk about his impact and influence and what he meant to the Nashville community. Demetri Kaladimos joining us here on Pod Bless Nashville, uh, the better half of the Nashville Banner, by the way, uh, I'll just say that uh, on the show. Um, thank you so much for giving us a few minutes of your time. I wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, we do appreciate it. How are you?
4: I'm great. Um, just coming from the very uplifting uh, service for Charlie at First Horizon Park, uh, what a great way to remember him on a beautiful day in a place that he loved.
3: Uh, yes, avid baseball fan, of course, from that area. And I, I wanted to start sort of very broadly. And for those that don't know much about Father Charles Strobel, the the founder of Room in the Inn, uh, just a huge part of the national community for so long. I, I just can you try to give people a sense of what what who who he is and then what his impact was on the community for those that don't know a whole lot about him.
4: Well, first of all, he very rarely was called father didn't want to be called father by anyone. If he was walking down the street, he didn't wear the clerical collar. Uh, He was sort of an unassuming guy. You might mistake him for anyone else on the street if you did not know the the extraordinary life that he had led. Uh, He grew up, as you said, like in the Germantown area of Nashville, lost his father at an early age, and that forced his mom to go to work. Uh, So he was out sort of on on the streets um, with a lot of free time as a kid after school and so forth because his mother was working. And um, he, by accident, he told me once, discovered um, some guys, some in that day we would call them winos. Uh, They were addicted alcoholic fellas without homes and uh, befriended them and ended up learning a great deal about these men. He wasn't scared of them. You know, like a ten or twelve year old kid would be. Um, more so, he wanted to learn from them and just sort of observe them. And I think that's where his heart for service, other than his mother's example, was really born.
3: Well, and so he he starts the the entire um, sort of origin story of Room in the Inn is is he he is a, a pastor at a church in East Nashville, and he looks out his window, and the story goes he sees folks in the cold of night that need a home, and it's a very simple sort of human reaction and interaction by him. But by the next year, it's plus 30 different congregations and churches in the city that have now adopted sort of his model. And and, uh, he was, of course, a a driving force for all of that. Can you try to explain at all or put words to what Room in the Inn has meant to our community for almost four decades?
4: Well, it was so ahead of its time. Um, A lot of people in the early 80s acknowledged that we had an unhoused or homelessness problem, Uh, And even before then, obviously, in every city in America, there were people that didn't have a place to stay. Uh, But I don't think anyone took a practical approach like Charlie did and said, you know, I can if I can bring these people into my sanctuary rectory for a cold night, give them something hot to eat, send them on their way the next day with with hope um, and only to probably see them again the next night. He said, certainly other congregations can. And I think he set that example, you know, and everyone bought in. And eventually it became room in the end.
3: What do you think he would want us to learn from the entire thing? Like you, you've already alluded to the fact that he sort of wasn't the guy wearing the collar. He's a big baseball fan. He's kind of out there in the people and 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 visiting with folks that sort of a, a lot of philanthropists sometimes have a difficult time dealing with. What... what what would you think he would, and I don't, I don't mean to ask you to put words into his mouth, but you know him very well. What, what would he want us to learn from the the three and a half, four decades of service where we're at in our current situation with this particular issue in our city? What is it that we should learn from his experience?
4: I think that every person with a beating heart out there has value. Um, and you, you don't need to look away from someone that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, au contraire, you need to look right at them and engage them and go eye to eye and speak to them and see the value in fellow human beings. Um, he he was so kind. I mean, I know it's it's cliche to say, but he was so kind to absolutely everyone, you know, from socialite to someone on the street. And he was really living what he, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, he would, he would quote it all the time that that was the the catechism for his life, the way he lived his life. And we learned today, I hope I'm not giving away a secret, but we learned today that his memoir, which is coming, uh, which he had been dictating to friends um, in his final months and weeks, um, is going to be called The Sermon on the Mound, <laughs> which is perfect. But, you know, it will take his experience, his anecdotes, some of the stories that that he um, lived and marry it with scripture and make it extremely relevant for everyone else. I think Charlie Strobel was a relevant theologian. He was someone that that could make um, the gospel or whatever scripture you believe in or higher power you believe in, make that real to you in your daily life, or at least make you consider that there was something bigger than yourself. Um, you know, And now, now, Charlie Strobel is an aspiration. You know, he was he yeah. was our friend. He was our neighbor. He was a absolutely wonderful Nashvillian, a member of this community. But now the idea, the concept of Charlie Strobel is an aspiration.
3: Yeah. And, and again, I didn't have a chance to, to get to know him like you did, but uh, I certainly knew the name and, and the work. And it does feel like as I've gotten older, radical empathy is a is a phrase that sort of like I, I think about a lot and it feels like. That, that he was sort of living that way ahead of its time,
4: way ahead of its time. And let's not forget the the profound forgiveness his mother was two weeks. I, I read this today, two weeks after he really started room in the Inn with the congregations buying in, uh, it was two weeks later that his mother was ironically abducted by a homeless man, a drifter, you know, severely mentally ill and killed murdered. And it was Charlie leading, of course, his family to say, no, we we don't believe in capital punishment. We do not want uh, the proverbial eye for an eye. This is a mentally ill person. And we do not want to take a life to um, avenge our mother's life. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, if it was my relative, I still wouldn't be for. And you never know the test of that sort of of faith and grounding until it's it's put on you and Charlie of course passed with flying colors and became a very strong advocate
3: yeah hard to argue with that with that situation there's no question about that um so by the way everybody out there please subscribe to the Nashville Banner uh newsletter you had some of your own personal anecdotes in there um last week of course uh, Right. right actually the day after he passed on Sunday August 6th and uh, I'm just curious you had a chance to share share many many memories with him but is there any particular anecdote that that you think sort of encapsulates the entirety because again we know about the the philanthropy and the kindness but we also know about the baseball fandom is is there anything that you want people to know maybe through your lens and your ability to tell stories that that will give people a sense of of kind of who he was and what he did
4: Well I shared on the banner that we got trapped on a on a crowded airline flight together, and it it turned out to be one of the most memorable days of my life. Uh, so we were on this crowded flight. We were talking nonstop. I think we were probably you know too loud at times because we were laughing so much. And uh, when I when we landed in Chicago, he was headed to a really sad occasion, uh, the funeral of one of his relatives, very young, beautiful young woman. And, you know, I was just wasting the time up there. I think I was headed to a ball game and all kinds of the other things that you would enjoy. And uh, I was going to catch the train. And Charlie said, no, no, I've got a rental car and I don't know where I'm going anyway. So let's let me give you a ride. <laughs> and uh, we ended up in a traffic jam, which was God's way of saying, I'm not done with you guys yet. You're you're having too much fun and too great a conversation. So we had another hour plus uh in a car together. And from that moment on, our our relationship really became personal. I had covered him as a journalist, admired his work. But then I kind of knew more about about Charlie, the man. And when when I'd see him afterward, you know how that is when you really get to know someone and sometimes close quarters help. um, It just changes the entire relationship. The last time I saw him He was here at the filming station, my little studio downtown to do sort of a long sit down interview. We had hoped that there would be many. As it turns out, there was only one. But it's it's solid gold now. And um, Mm. as he was leaving and we were hugging goodbye, you know, he grabbed my hand and he slipped in my hand a tiny little leather cross. And he said, this is one of mine that I carry around in my wallet pocket, whatever and I think you should have it and um, you know I can't tell you how treasured uh, that that little tiny soft leather cross is. Um, it just said so much about who he was and the fact that he didn't want to preach to people, you know he didn't want to force you into believing anything. He wanted you to believe in yourself and your own goodness. And then once you knew you had goodness, to share it and show it.
3: Yeah. Uh, Again, I I did not get a chance to know him, but he sounds like a guy that would have preferred a big party afterward at a baseball baseball field.
4: Today, for benefit of those that weren't able to make the service, we had a seventh inning stretch. (laughs) We sang, we sang, take me out to the ball game. And we were going root, root, root for the homeless. Oh, that's great. That's great.
3: Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Demetrius, thank you yeah, so yeah. much. Subscribe to the banner, of course, for great co- coverage of, of all things Nashville. and And I appreciate your perspective today. Thank you.
4: Oh, thank you so much for inviting me and God bless Charlie Strobel.
3: That does it on the show today. I want to say special thanks, of course, to Holly McCall for joining us in studio. Make sure you check out the Tennessee Lookout. They're doing great work across the board there. A special thanks uh, to Holly for joining us. And special thanks to Demetria Kaladimos for joining us as well to give us some perspective on Charlie Strobel. For Jamie Holland, I am Braden Gall. Thank you for listening, of course. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And I leave you with this today on the show. This week, Demetria, the interview she mentioned with father strobel in the conversation we had she was kind enough to send me a clip of that obviously an interview that she, that she values really really important to her personally so i thought we would leave today and end the show with the voice of father strobel otherwise we'll talk to you guys next week thanks for listening
2: the sermon on the mount is the presentation of the early church's teachings as they understood it coming from jesus It's almost like a catechism, a a, a book of instruction. And some say it's an impossible ideal, but it's not meant to be an impossible ideal. Teachings like if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn and offer him your other. You have teachings about loving your enemy, doing too good to those who persecute you. You have teachings Capitalism says, I have a right to private property. But what the Sermon on the Mount is saying, in effect, is that I have a right to private property until you have need of it. How do you pray? They're they're all personal invitations to live a blessed life. To me, when I read them for the first time, I thought this is something that is, is more than an impossible ideal. This is an expression of a love of a disciple. It's really talking about loving in a way that doesn't uh, allow you to walk away.